0: And if you have your Bibles with you tonight, I'm going to read from John chapter 1, and I'm just going to read a few verses there. You're welcome to, uh, to follow along. You don't have to stand or anything. I'm just going to read, and then I'm just going to jump in and start teaching for a little bit. But I feel like the Lord laid a subject on my heart, and, and I want to share it with you tonight. John chapter 1, verse 1, reading in the English Standard Version, says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Would somebody say that with me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and what happened next? God said, let there be light. And so, John chapter 1 is a parallel passage to Genesis 1. John sets up what will follow in his gospel with this, in the beginning was the Word. He says in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 goes on to tell us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Word of God. And I want to talk to you from this subject, the Word comes first. Would you say that? The Word comes first. Would you just bow your head and let's pray. I want to ask the Lord to be with us. God, as we enter into your Word and as we study your Word tonight, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would prepare us to receive what your word has to say, God, that you would let us draw near to you through your word and that it would speak to us and that it would change us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we ask it according to your will. We pray for your anointing to be in this house. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. How many of you have social media? Just raise your hand if you have social media. Facebook, amen. Anybody have Instagram? Raise your hand if you have Instagram, amen. Less hands are up. Snapchat. Anybody here have Snapchat? We want to see who the sinners are. (laughs) Raise it, Leanne. (laughs) Snapchat. I don't have Snapchat. But the more that you live in this life, and in case you haven't noticed, filters are all the rage these days. Everywhere you look on social media, you will find photos and videos with filters. Amen? And so, you know, I was going to take some pictures and do this, and I, I was going to do it to myself and put it up, and I, I decided against that right quick, and then I was going to do it to Ryland, and I decided against that right quick, but you can just use your imagination tonight on this Wednesday night Bible study that that there are filters that are designed to make you look older. Anybody ever do that? That was all the rage for a while. Is what will you look like 40 years from now, and you put a filter on, and you look like an an old person, it looks like you with more wrinkles, and uh, some of us are living into <laughs> the, the filter, and so uh, some of you, when you took that filter and put it on you, you disappeared, because <laughs> you don't have that much time left, uh, that was morbid, I do dark humor, I don't know if you know that, <laughs> there are filters that make you look older, some of them make you look younger, how many of you raise your hand, let's be honest tonight, How many of you have used the filters that make you look younger, that will erase wrinkles? Amen. And there there are filters that make a man look like a woman. This is the portion where we're not going to raise hands. And there are filters that make a woman look like a man. There are filters that make you look more beautiful, that erase your blemishes, and there are filters that can make you look deformed and twist and, and, and mar your features so that you look like something else. There are filters that can change the color of your hair, the color of your skin, and, and, and they can make you look like your favorite character. You can, you can be the president. You can be a Marvel hero because for everything that you want to be, there seems to be a filter today. And so, single men, be careful meeting a girl online. Because she may not look anything like her pictures. She may not even be a she. (laughs) So be careful. Why am I talking about filters? Because filters are a modern way of reshaping what actually is into what we wish things were like. And so... If, if you want to be a little bit younger, you can accomplish that by a filter. And people who don't know you out in the ether, out in the internet world, will never know the difference. Because we are presenting what we wish would be, right? In fact, filters have become so good that they're often hard to detect. The fundamental idea of a filter is to augment reality, to change our perception of what is and shape it into something else. And and so, just hang on with me here. If you aren't familiar with the real image, that it is practically impossible to tell when some of these filters are present over what you're looking at. If you don't know that person, you might think that that's how they always look. You might walk past them in Walmart and not realize that that's the person whose picture you were looking at. (laughs) Because it's an augmented reality. It's not what is real, but it looks like it's real. It seems like it's real. And the accumulated effect is that every day millions of people mindlessly scroll through images and photos on their phone that do not reflect reality. Our world has become filtered. And that goes beyond the special effects that we put on our photos because we usually don't post about it when we just got fired. Not if you have any sense at least. (laughs) Usually you don't put your low moments on there. You often only see people's best moments where it looks like people are living the dream. You might have only been on a helicopter one time in your life, but I promise you it will be on social media. And so we we put the best moments forward. Millions of dollars are made a year by influencers who make money by making their life look like something that it really is not. In fact, it's augmented reality. Some call it fake news. That guy standing beside the Ferrari probably rented it. Or better yet, saw it on the street Looked around to see if the owner was anywhere close and walked over and took a picture as if it was his own. Believe it or not, that happens. You see, here's the point is we live in a day where we cannot trust what we see. And what we see affects what we think and what we believe. And so we, we, start, we start to live in comparison to filtered lives that erase all the blemishes and the bumps... And we begin to compare ourselves at our worst to them at their best. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sociologists have easily made the connection between rising anxiety and depression. And the fact that we are living in a filtered world. Because most of what you see is not even real. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6.22. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. He said this. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. Matthew 6.22. He said, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if your eye works and operates as it is supposed to, then you will be able to see and your body will be full of light. Matthew 6.23 goes on to say, but if your eye is bad, somebody say bad, if your eye is bad, now this world, I looked, a word, I looked it up, it means evil. It says, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This word, if your eye is bad, he's saying if your eye is evil. Anybody ever heard of the evil eye? That Greek word for evil is poneros, which means hurtful or evil, properly in effect or in influence. It is an evil influence. And so what he's saying is if your eye does not see correctly, if your eye sees under evil influence, then then the light in you is darkness. It's not even light. And how great is the darkness. Jesus is saying that if your eye influences you in an evil way, then your life will be full of darkness. So listen to this, what you see, what you see impacts your soul. What you look at and how you see impacts your soul. This is why people are depressed and full of anxiety in our world today because they're looking at social media and my life is not like that. <laughs> you know, people, you, you wake up in the morning and scroll on and somebody's drinking, you know, some healthy shake and smiling into the camera. If You're staggering into the kitchen. That's not my life. <laughs> well, you don't know is they shot it at 5 o'clock in the evening yesterday. They're sound asleep. <laughs> but, but we compare ourselves and, and, and what we look at has an impact on our soul. You see, the word evil eye was a phrase in use among the ancient Jews to denote an envious, covetous man or disposition. So a man who was unhappy at his neighbor's prosperity, who loved his own money and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. um, That man was said to have an evil eye. There was something wrong with what he was seeing in the world because he wasn't seeing the blessing upon another person, he was seeing a challenge to his own success. He wasn't seeing the opportunity to be an avenue, and a conduit of God's blessing, he's seeing that I will lose if I give. And so in the ancient Jewish world, he was said to have an evil eye. How many of you heard of the evil eye? When Jaira was just a baby, we were were in Taco Bell, and this lady, you know, we lived in a Hispanic community, where there wasn't a lot of blonde hair, blue-eyed babies. And so uh, this lady came over, and she was, like, saying something and touching gyro on the head. And I said, what are you doing? And this is our first child. We're real protective. The last one, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> well, I was a young dad. I was new. I was ready to... I said, what are you doing? And she says, oh, it's the oh. And I said, the what? And she said, oh, I, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. I said, no, please explain it to me. And she said, well... We, we believe in the oho, that, that when we see something beautiful, if we, we need to touch it and bless it because uh, the evil eye, and, and if we don't, it'll get the evil eye, and the evil eye is a curse upon it. And I said, listen, lady, we don't need, we, we don't need you to touch it because of the oho. We got Jesus covering this baby. We're going to be all right. It's the evil eye. There's a lot in history about the evil eye. But what Jesus is actually saying here is Jesus is saying what you look at has, and what you see has the ability to impact your soul. And so if you see everyone else's best and you're worse, it can lead to depression. If you only see others' success and not their struggle, it can lead to discouragement. How many of you know we do that? We judge people at their highest moment and ourselves at the lowest moment. You can't judge anybody by one moment. You can't judge a life that way, but but what we see impacts our soul. If you see the troubles and the trials you're going through and not the faithfulness of God, it can lead to doubt. If you see the storm and not the Savior, you won't walk on the waves. You will sink in the water. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? What you see impacts your soul. And so within our minds, in our hearts, what I want to tell you in the beginning of this this Bible study is that we all have filters. Sometimes we don't realize that what we are seeing is not even real. That we are looking through a filter. It's imperceptible to us, but we are seeing things through a filter. Because Satan and the world around us works over time to show us things that are not real so that our soul will land on ideas and beliefs that are not true. Can I get an amen? That's what Satan does, is he wants you to see the world in a certain light and in a certain fashion. He wants you to see the world through the filter that he's throwing up and he'll paint sin to be this fun picture. And the Bible says though it's fun for a season it only lasts for a little while because every way that seems right to a man can lead to destruction. And so Satan's aim is to twist our perception so that we even begin to see God in a different light. And he wants us to see our circumstances in a different light. He wants us to view the world and the ideas that we, and conclusions that we come to through the filter of our own flesh and our own desires. He wants you to look through the lens of lust and of pride and so his main priority is to co-opt your thinking so that you believe something different than what is true, amen? And so the greatest battle that you will ever fight is actually right between your ears. That's the greatest battle, that is the spiritual battlefield is your mind. The greatest battle you will ever fight is right between your ears. And so the battlefield of the soul is our thinking, our mind. You see, often what we do is we confuse and we conflate the spirit and the soul. And while the soul is sometimes in Scripture used to refer to your entire self, including your spirit, in the New Testament it is often when the word soul is used, it's referring to your mind, your will, and your emotions. Hang on with me, is it okay if I teach just for a moment? So, here's a helpful way to think of it. We are a spirit. The Bible says in Genesis 2 and 7 that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed, somebody say breathe. breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul, a living being. Why? Because that word breathe in the Hebrew is ruach. In the New Testament, it is translated as the Greek word pneuma, which means spirit. God delivered from himself, from his spirit, the spark of life into man. And man became a living being. So we are a spirit. We have a soul. And we live in a body. You see, some of us get that wrong. We think that we're a body and we have a soul and we have a spirit, but we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the peace of God himself sanctify you completely. Listen to this, and he says, and may your whole spirit, your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here that in order to Be entirely sanctified. You've got to be sanctified in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. These are the three parts that make up a man. Romans 1.9, Paul says this. He says, I serve God with my spirit. The God whom I serve with my spirit. You see, the spiritual part of us is the part that connects with God. In John chapter 4, when Jesus went to the well of Samaria. How many of you remember this passage? And he's talking with the woman at the well. He said this. He said, the day is coming and now is when they that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. Because it is the spirit within a man that connects back with the God who gave it to us. And that results in worship When we do it in faith and in belief. And so our spirit serves God. We connect with God on a spiritual level. That's why we need to be baptized with the spirit. Because it regenerates our spiritual man. And we are brought from death and into life through the spirit of adoption and regeneration. And so we connect with God on a spiritual level. This is the innermost and eternal part of who we are. It is that eternal part of us that God breathed in us in Genesis 2. So somebody say, we are a spirit. We are a spirit, but we have a soul. You see, in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 specifically, that that word soul in the original Greek is the word suke, which is also the root word of psychology. And so our soul is our psyche. It is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's our personality. It's who we are. It's not just our body, but this is, this is uh, our soul. We think, we reason, consider, we remember, and we wonder with our soul. We experience emotions in our soul. Happiness, love, sorrow, anger, relief. These are soul-level emotions. So the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That means that your mindset informs your will and flows into your emotions. And so this is why there is a spiritual battle over our thoughts and our perceptions. Is because what we think determines what we do and how we feel. And so if Satan can get you to perceive things through the wrong filter, hear me right now, then he can direct your will and your emotions. He can have you twisted up about stuff that is not true. Anybody ever been offended at somebody? And you didn't even really know why. (laughs) I was pastoring pastor one time and I had two ladies upset at each other. Or really one lady upset at another because the, the lady had ignored her. Turns out she was on her Bluetooth on the phone and didn't even notice the lady saying hello to her. But this lady over here thought that she just gave her the cold shoulder, and so she she got she got upset about it. Listen, what we think determines how we feel and how we act. And so Satan is interested in giving us a false. Filter. He wants us to see a different picture than what is real and than what is true. And hang on with me, I'm going somewhere. Adam and Eve are the prime example of this in the scripture and sets it forth from the beginning. Satan got Eve to change how she saw God by questioning her freedom. Listen to it. He comes along and he says, did did God really say you can't eat of every tree in the garden? Did God really say that? He starts off by questioning God. Did God really say that? And Eve responds to him and says, Well, God said that we may eat of every tree that is in the garden, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, we can't have that tree because if we, listen to this, he says, If we eat it or we touch it, we will die. And so he moves on from there. And he says this he he says, You won't die. You won't die. He challenges God's word and God's motives. He says, did God really say that? And she said, yeah, God said that. And he said, well, if he said that, you really aren't going to die. He just knows that if you eat it, you'll have knowledge of good and evil like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. What is Satan doing here? Satan is changing Eve's perception of God and his command because God set forth the command to protect Adam and Eve. He gave them a tree of life to eat from so that they could live. He gave them everything their hearts desired, but he warned them, don't touch that tree. And what Satan does is he comes and he throws a filter on the situation. And he paints a fake picture of what really is. And suddenly Eve starts seeing it differently because the scripture now says in Genesis 3, That she looked at the tree and she saw that it was good for food. And so she took and she ate of it. How did Satan deceive Eve? He changed her perception of God and her perception of sin. And so he put a filter of false motives over God and slapped another filter of false hope over that tree. You see, God is no longer the answer. The tree is your answer, Eve. You'll be like God if you eat the tree. And so he made Eve see and think something that wasn't really true. He changed the way that she saw the tree. He threw a filter on it. And look, Satan is a deceiver. Scripture teaches us that he is the father of lies. And as such, he wants to shape how you see the world. Because if he can get you to see the image that he is projecting, then he can convince you to live in sin, and you'll think it was all your own idea. You'll think that you came to that conclusion based on your own reason and logic. That I thought this through, I considered the ramifications, and I can't see what's wrong with it. And so, Satan wants to cast a filter up between you and the situations that you face in life. He wants you to see things in a certain light. Is anybody following with me tonight? I know I'm jumping from scripture to scripture. But I feel like this is a key part of living for God. If We, we need to recognize that not everything that we see is real. And not everything that the enemy shows us is true. That not everything that we feel is right. Can I get an Amen. Then not everything that, not every conclusion that we jump to is correct. And so the principal battle for your soul is over how you think. And how you see your life. The truth is that we all look through these lenses and these filters. And here is spiritual maturity. It's learning to look through the right one. And that's what I really came to you, to talk to you about tonight. Is learning to look through the right lens. Because... The truth is that we, we all look through lenses, and we may as well look through the right one. Now, now, let me take a second and just talk about some wrong lenses. Is it all right to do that? I want to tell you some wrong lenses that we look through. One lens that we look through is the lens of feelings. I, I just don't feel like that, that's that big of a deal. Now, I, know, I know that the Bible says you shouldn't do it, but I, I don't see what's wrong. I don't feel like it. I've had people tell me who backs like it feels easier out here. I'm like, well, yeah, there's no resistance. But feelings are a terrible, terrible judge, a, a thing to judge by. Because look, how you feel today and how you feel tomorrow might shift. There's nothing outside of yourself. You see, you you have to ground your morality. You have to you have to ground your life, direction, and your decisions on something that is bigger than you. The Bible says it this way, do not be tossed to and fro with every wind of change and doctrine. You've got to have an anchor. You've got to have something that will hold you down and keep you from losing your mind. Because if you give in to every feeling that you have, you will end up in a bad place. Here's another one that we use. We use our intellect and reason. And look, intellect and reason will always fall short because of this simple fact. We don't even know what we don't know. Well, if God really loved me, He would have let me have that job. No. You don't know what was waiting for you on that job. The Bible says that, that in Romans, I believe it's chapter 7, that how inscrutable are God's ways. And in other words, you can't scrutinize God. Sometimes in our own reason and intellect, we, we reason these things and, and we, we come to logical conclusions that we think are foolproof. But We don't know what we don't know. And listen. The scripture says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Sometimes God's spirit will lead you to do things that don't make sense by man's standards. Throw your stick on the ground, Moses. Okay. And it turns to a stake. If you're in a snake farming business, you don't go outside and start throwing down sticks. First of all, You need to check your life trajectory (laughs) if you're a snake (laughs) farmer. It doesn't make sense, but but sometimes God leads us in ways that don't make sense. And and quickly, here's another one. History is a terrible filter to look at life through. Just because the people you grew up around were a certain way doesn't mean everybody's going to be that way. Listen, just because your, your past is trying to inform your future doesn't mean that you are correct basing your judgments on your own experiences. Can anybody hear me? History is a terrible way. And, and look, you know what rises out of that type of thinking is tradition. It's placing the burden of proof on the past. Well, Well, they said it and they did it and so I'm going to keep doing it. That is a terrible way to come to conclusions. Because you're relying on their intellect, not even your own. And so, these are some things that that we rely on, but look, here's the purpose of the Word of God. The purpose of the Word of God is to reveal what is true. Bear with me, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through the Word, and without them nothing was made. God literally brought everything into existence through what? The Word, right? Right? The word in Greek means logos, which means the expression of God's plans or of God's thoughts. And so he says this, everything that came to be in the real world began first in the mind of God. It began first in God's thinking. We are made in the image of God, what you think will come into your life. Proverbs 27 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. And so we produce from our mind into reality. And the Word, listen, is always, always the beginning place of things that come into reality. The Word always presents the clearest picture of reality, the Word of God, because its purpose is to reveal truth and all other truths are tested against the Word. Everything came from the Word. Reality was formed, the Bible says, by His Word, the worlds were framed. And He made what we can see out of what we cannot see, or or made what we can see out of what we cannot see. And that the worlds consist by His Word. Somebody say His Word. And so, the Word is what put all this place together. The Word is what created the reality that we now live in. And so the clearest lens to look through at life is the Word of God. Because before anything else, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And so all of reality sprang from the mind of God through His Word. And so all other truths must be tested against His Word. Listen to this. In Proverbs 22, 17 uh, through 19, I want to read it to you. It says this. It says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. W- what is, this, what is the, the, the wise man saying? He's saying, I want you to hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. Because... What he's doing here is he's starting to show us how we live a word-first life. And and let me just take a second and and tell you what I mean by that, Is, is whatever comes in your life, whatever situations that you're going through, whatever conclusions that you are trying to come through to, before you visit your history, before you visit your feelings and consult with your feelings, before you consult with your reason and your intellect, before You ask your best friend about it. Consult the word of God. Let the word be the lens that you look at things through. Let the word be the lens that you derive reality from. Because listen, there's a way to live word first. And this is what Proverbs 22 is talking about. He says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply your heart to my knowledge. The words incline your ear are not strange to Scripture until Psalm 78, in fact, they were always spoken to God. I went through and found every instance where he said incline your ear and until Psalm 78, every time it was a request of prayer, it was saying, 2 Kings 19, incline your ear, O Lord, hear, hear our prayer. Psalms 10, O Lord, will you, you will incline your ear when I pray. It was a statement of faith about prayer, Lord, you will incline your ear. Psalm 17, I call upon you, for you will answer me, and you will incline your ear to me. Psalm 31, incline your ear to me and rescue me, Lord. All of human history and biblical history, when he says incline your ear, it's humanity talking to God, saying, God, listen to us down here. Anybody ever prayed that? God, are you listening? But watch this. Psalm 78 switches things up. Psalm 78, 1. The psalmist says, Give ear, O my people. Incline your ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. For I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach our children. Why? So that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. And so that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The psalmist flips the script on the inclining ear business. All of human history, human, humanity, and all through the psalms, they're saying, God, will you listen to us? And this psalmist stands up and says, we've been getting it wrong. What we really need, is, we do need God to listen to us, but we need to incline our ear to hear what God is saying and what the spirit is saying. We need to incline our ear and position ourselves so that we know the word of God. This passage captured me this morning because it touches on something I've been praying about. Is It's not enough if I know what I know. If I have this filter of the word of God but my kids don't. It's not enough if If I, in a moment of devotion, come to God and I have this tremendous history and story with God of deliverance and of God's faithfulness, if I do not share that with my children, and if I don't make a place in my life to hear the Word of God and be familiar with my source story. So today at lunch, in thinking about this passage, I don't know all the history of my family and how how it all came to salvation. But I my, I had my son with me for lunch today. And I asked him, I said, son, do you what would what would you tell somebody if, if they came and asked you, what do I need to do to be saved? He gave me a stellar answer. He said, I would tell them that they need to pray to God and repent and that they need to receive the Holy Ghost to be baptized. Thank God for that understanding that He has. But I told Rowan, I said, Rowan, I said, Do you know, do you know, I know. One of all the grandparents, Mama, I'm sure she's watching. We're going to have a talk. I need to know more of our source story. But my wife's grandfather at, at his funeral about a year and a half, two years ago, he passed away, and I was talking with some family members there. And I said, how, how, did, how did he come to God? Because he wasn't, he wasn't raised in, a, in, in church, really. I mean, they, they were religious somewhat. And here, here's his source story. The sore story is this, is that he was working on a train, wasn't living for God, and, and he was a brakeman on a train. In those days, you had to like, physically pull the brakes, and so that was his job. Well, they were going under a low bridge, and he ducked, and he thought that they were through the bridge and raised his head at the last second and hit his head on the bridge. It knocked him off of the train and into a coma. And so for about a month, he lay in the hospital, And he was in what was called a waking coma. He he was there, but he was not there. He had no recollections, no memories. He really couldn't interact. He was he was seeing visions and and uh, talking to people who weren't there. As as he was, they they call it a waking coma, and and they nothing they could do would help him. And uh, and so his mom heard about a Pentecostal preacher and asked him to come pray for my wife's grandfather, and he came. And laid hands on him and prayed for him in the hospital. And the next day he got out in his right mind. And part of our, my kids' source story comes from what God did for Homer Compton in a hospital 60 plus years ago in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I asked Rowan, I said, did you know that story? He said, I didn't know that story. Why am I talking about that? Because... In Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord says again, Hear, listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. And he says, and you shall talk of it when you rise up and when you sit down. And you shall tell your children when you're coming and when you're going. What do you tell them? They they quote the Shema. They teach their children to quote the Shema. And it's actually much longer than we know. It goes into how God delivered them from Israel. It is their source story. And what they did through the Shema is they keep their history ever before them. They never forget how they got to where... Now now they're living in the Promised Land centuries later, but they're, they're remembering that God delivered our people out of bondage from Egypt. And so they're looking at life through the lens that God is a deliverer, that God is faithful, that I am now living in the place that god promised and god prepared for my people and so it changes the whole relationship and this is what they're doing in psalm 78 is they have fallen away from their sore story and the psalmist stands up and he says you need to listen to the word of god and hear incline your ear to the story of how god has delivered us teach it to your children because It's when we get disconnected from the Word of God that generations start going off the tracks. And he says this, he says that they'll never set their hope in God if they don't know the Word. They they, they won't ever set their hope in God. He said, I'm telling you this so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. He said the only way to live a word first life is for the word to be living breathing into your life consistently. You've got to incline your ear because you can't live what you don't know. Hosea 4, 6 says this, it says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Why did Eve eat the fruit in Genesis 3? Because she didn't really know the word. In Slice it and dice it all you want. But she misquoted what God said. God said, don't eat the tree. She said, don't eat or touch it. She really didn't understand it. She got it secondhand from Adam and she really didn't understand it. And so it's like looking at life with the wrong lens. You have to know the word in order for it to help you. Because word first living starts with inclining your ears to the word of God. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy regarding the importance of viewing life through the lens of the Word. Anybody still with me? 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He said, "While well, listen to this, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, evil people and fake people will go from bad to worse by receiving and repeating deception. They're deceiving and they're being deceived. He said their life and trajectory is guided by what they believe, but it isn't true. Because they are deceived and they are deceiving. But notice the shift that takes place here in the next verse, in verse 14 he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, he says this, that he can trust what he had learned since childhood from his grandmother and his mother, from Eunice, his grandmother, and from Lois, his mother. He he can trust what he learned from them because he was acquainted with the Scriptures. Timothy was able... Paul said to discern truth in an age where people are deceiving and and being deceived constantly. Where they're getting it wrong all the time and looking through all the wrong lenses. He says he can get it right because he was an acquaintance of the Word of God. He was familiar with the Word and the Word was his filter for for affirming what was true and what was not. And so Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy. And he says, Timothy, there's a lot of confusion going on in your world. There's a lot, of, a lot of opinions going around. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of, it's a lot like our culture today, what he describes. But he says, you can be confident in what you learned since you were a child because you were acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures. Paul continued, and he says, for all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable or advantageous for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what then is the answer to a culture that is driven by emotions and feelings, and and that is shaped by traditions and and history, and trapped within the limits of human intellect? It's this, it's that you've got to know the Word of God. It is to be well acquainted with the Scriptures. It's to have a word-first view of life. And so that means that whenever something comes up in my life, I don't assess my emotions. I I don't jump to conclusions. I don't consult with my own intellect. I I don't weigh in for whatever side I want things to land on. That's not what I do. But if I really want to get it right, first consult the Word. You know that stats and polls show that many Christians don't know the Bible that well even though they attend church. It's not common to find people who read the Bible outside of the church, it's becoming less and less common. Statistics show that many don't study the Bible with other Bible literate people that only read the Bible in short snippets or a few verses or a verse of of a day uh, and they never never sit and read a whole book of the Bible. Now, I know I'm preaching to a Wednesday night crowd, but why am I talking about this? Because we're in a pivotal moment in our time and in our culture. And I believe what God is is doing is God is calling us to a revival of Bible literacy and of the Word. There's nothing more powerful to me than these kids that Bible quiz. Because they can quote, I was so thankful a few years ago when my kids were quizzing. that They quizzed on the year of doctrine. And so they learned and hid in their heart those scriptures. Listen. If we're going to be equipped to detect the lies of the devil, you've got to know the word of God. It's not enough to come to church and to feel good and to worship and to bump and dance and, and feel the presence of God. Of course those things are wonderful, but that is not enough to sustain you from spiritual attack. He says, Timothy, you're going to be a pastor of a great church, but he said the way that you're going to find your way through when it's confusing and when it's hard and you don't know is you got to have a word first mentality because you're acquainted With the scriptures, you'll be able to discern what is true. Sometimes we're caught in the trap of not knowing how to respond to the world because we really don't know what God said about what we're talking about. Can I get an amen? And so, what I want to show you tonight is that the word is the lens through which we must see life. Because if we don't know or engage with the Bible, then we're not equipped to resist being deceived. If we don't know what God says, how, how, how can we tell when we're looking at Satan's filter? And so, he continues, and, and, and he tells you to apply your heart to knowledge. In other words, it's not enough to just know the word. Because you can quote scriptures, Satan can quote scriptures. He did it to Jesus in the wilderness. It's, it's incredible to me that, that we sometimes gloss over that. Because when Satan attacked Jesus, he did it on religious grounds. It's not enough to just, just know the word, but you have, he says you apply. How do you live word first? You apply your heart to knowledge. In other words, Psalm 119, 105 says it this way, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's not enough to have head knowledge about the Bible. The Pharisees, listen to me, were some of the most biblically literate people to ever live, to ever walk the earth. They, te- they would teach them from the time they're little bitty to quote the whole Old Testament. They could rattle it off. Every scripture, every rule, 600 plus, I think 600, I can't even remember the number. They could quote them all. Every one of them. They could quote them and live them. But look, when God manifests himself in flesh, they missed the point of what they were studying. They knew it all, but their thinking was warped by the filter of tradition. And so they missed the Messiah that was in front of their face. Because applying your heart to knowledge means to let the word be the lamp to your feet. Sometimes we use the word like a flashlight. We try to shine it on a portion of scripture and say, look what that means. It doesn't say a flashlight, it says a lamp unto my feet. In other words, it lights the path. I don't shine it wherever I want to go, it lights my next steps. it shows me how I need to act, how I need to live, how I need to walk, how I need to navigate relational problems, how, how I need to navigate forgiveness, how I, need, how I need to do all of these things. And so it's letting the Word take the lead in our thoughts, in our perceptions, and in our decisions. I know that this is basic Christianity. I, I realize that, but I think we're living in a day where we have to reestablish the importance of the Word of God in the life of a believer. Amen? You see, there will always be things we don't understand, and listen, there will even be things we don't agree with in Scripture. Anybody ever read something and you're like, ooh, Lord, that one's tough. (laughs) But look, word first is living is never taking a step into something that the word of God hasn't illuminated. What we do a lot of times is we we just say, I just think, I just think it's all right, I just don't think God would care about that, I just don't, what's wrong with it? And if God's word hasn't illuminated it, we ought to not walk there. But our word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. In other words, it shows me how I need to live, how I need to navigate, how I need to walk through this life. It tells me how I ought to think and how I ought to process things. It, it shows me all of that. And so there will always be things we don't, we don't understand, but we ought to let the word illuminate where we walk. That's word first living. In other words... If I don't have biblical clarity about it, I'm not stepping out until I do. That's word first living. If I do see it in clear, clearly in scripture, then I can walk in holy confidence that God's promises are attached to obeying his word. And so that's, that's what it means to live word first. It's, it's to incline your ear to hear the word of God. It's, it's to apply your heart to knowledge. He goes on and he says this, and he says, let the word be fitted to your lips. Somebody say, fit it to your lips. In other words, Scripture should permeate our conversations. Listen, if Sunday and Wednesday are the only time that the word of God comes up in our life, then we have missed the mark. Can I get an amen? We've missed the mark. And so what we talk about reveals what is in our heart and in our soul. In fact, it reveals often the lens that we're looking through. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what somebody thinks? Just get them talking. You'll find out what they think. You'll find out what they believe. And so what we talk about reveals what's in our heart. And what we speak about reveals whether we're keeping his word within. And so having conversations about the scripture. You know some of the most powerful moments. I love our Wednesday night classes when we break up. Because... How many, I know I can speak for our class, that, w- and I, I'm sure it was true in here too. But when, when God's people start talking about the Word of God together, man, the Spirit of God would move in that classroom. Well, goosebumps on top of goosebumps, Holy Ghost. I mean, like real Holy Ghost. Nobody shouting, no band playing, nobody screaming, but just talking about the Word of God and, and watching how it illuminates life and how it illuminates decisions and how it illuminates your path. It's a powerful thing when God's people start talking about the word. And listen, I believe this, that that a big part of our evangelism comes from the fact that our our lack of evangelism comes from the fact that we're disconnected from the word. So we don't know what to say when we get there. And I I realize that that I'm I'm probably slugging a little heavy tonight. but, But why I came to this room is to encourage somebody, get back into the word. Listen, prayer is us talking to God. Prayer is us saying, God, incline your ear to us. But finding time to study and understand and read the word of God in our daily life is us saying, God, talk to me. God, tell me. I'm not here to tell you. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I need you to direct me. I need you to show me the path. And so... Why live this way? Let's stand up. Why live this way? Listen, Proverbs twenty-two nineteen. 19, we wrap it up. He says this, so that your trust may be in the Lord. You know how you can trust God? Get familiar with his word. So that your trust may be in the Lord. And verse 21, he says this, so that I may know, make you know the certainty of the words of truth, so that you may answer words of truth to those who sin to you. Why? Because, number one, It helps you trust God. And number two, when the world is looking for answers, when the hurting around you are looking for answers, he says, you may know certainly, with certainty, what is the truth. That's why we should live word first. Somebody say, the word comes first. Amen. Let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness in this Bible study tonight. I pray that you've spoken to hearts here God, I pray that you would renew our commitment to study and to understand and to know your word, Lord. We want to walk in your spirit, but Lord, we want our path to be illuminated and and to bring understanding through your word to, to how we're living and moving through this life. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not trust our own senses or our own conclusions, but Lord, help us to test everything that we believe and everything that we live by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And we ask it according to your promise and according to your will. And everybody said in Jesus' name.